Hello, and welcome to another episode of Continuous Testing Live. I'm your host, Noel Wurst, and it's good to be back on the show. There's always something that pops up that keeps us from releasing these episodes as quickly and as often as we'd like. Most recently, it was all the work that went into Accelerate 2018, Tricentis' largest annual conference to date. This show always gets bigger each year, but this year's event was massive. As we wrapped up a customer advisory board meeting, a growth advisory board meeting, an expanded awards presentation at the show as nearly all of our 2018 testing heroes showed up. So I want to give a huge thank you to everyone who attended and worked so hard to make it such a great event. All of our new friends at QA Symphony who came and worked and played with us. It was just great all around. And if you didn't make it, you can find loads of recaps, uh, recorded keynotes, and more over at Tricentis.com. On this week's episode, we're taking a look at a report we put out each year called the Software Fail Watch. This report always gets a lot of attention as it's really the only report like it. Historically, what we've done with this is collected an entire year's worth of headlines that capture any news of public-facing software failures or bugs, and then we analyze those to really try and quantify the financial impact those bugs had, the staggering numbers of people affected by those bugs, And then this year, we added the first ever brand erosion index. And this was really a new way for us to measure the impact these bugs have on customer loyalty and retention, satisfaction. And we did that by going beyond the headlines and looking at things like quickly mounting negative social media mentions when a bug uh, makes the headlines. So this week, we're sharing a conversation that I had with Chelsea, my colleague here at Tricentis, who has put this report together each year to learn more about everything from why this report matters to how in the world can we even wrap our head around numbers like $1.7 trillion in assets at stake when half the world's population was affected by software failures during the last year. With that, let's get on with this week's episode of Continuous Testing Live. Chelsea, maybe uh, to start us off here, we, you can um, kind of give everyone a, a better understanding who is not already familiar with the software fail watch as to, as to what it is and, and basically why we, why we put this out each year. Sure. So the software fail watch is a compendium of software fails uh, that are published in English language news that we find every single year. Um, Basically, we started doing it because as a software testing company working within the space, we realized that unless you're actually working within quality assurance or you're a tester or more intimately um, concerned with these topics, a lot of people actually have no idea why you need to do software testing. Hmm. Um, Which if you're actually immersed in the space, it seems obvious. And yet if you're not immersed in the space, it's sort of an afterthought. So it was a way of us actually trying to have people understand how software and software bugs, software failures or glitches actually affect you on a very real practical day-to-day basis. So we started by just searching through the news over the course of a calendar year and pulling every single uh, media story or 
news story, newspaper article, video that we could find that was reporting a, a unique software bug. Um, English language, obviously, because our researchers are working in English, and so uh, that was the, the pool that was going to be represented that we mm -hmm. found. So how do we, how, do, how did those researchers and you, and you actually collect and then dissect and pick through and, and analyze all this stuff? Because in, in this year's report, you know, it mentions that it's a total of 606 software failures, but that mm -hmm. was spread across over 1,100 stories, which is a lot to uh, pick through. And I'm sure there are even stories that, that don't get added into that total that still have to be read and evaluated and then... Uh, and then not included in the report. So how do you, how do you go through that, that, that many stories and, and, and put this stuff together? How is this thing built? Well, a lot of manual labor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we base everything off of a Google Alerts. Um, it, that's just our system that we've set up. I'm sure there's a more sophisticated way we could have done it, but it's been working for us for the past few years that we've put this together. Uh, so we have a Google Alerts that has a number of keywords that we're looking for and every day we have these alerts that are rolling into a Gmail inbox and we're just scanning through the stories one by one to see if they are a fitting our requirements if it is actually a software bug or if it's just something that's containing the keywords but it's not actually relevant to what we're looking for and two that it's a unique story. Um, so uh, as you can imagine when you've got some software bug that is really uh, big in the news, for example, like the Equifax uh, hack that took place last year, you're going to see hundreds of stories on it. So mm -hmm. that's hundreds of articles that you're looking through and it's still only one bug. So that's only going to get calculated in once, but you might have looked through a hundred articles just about that one thing, which is how you end up having these extremely high numbers of articles that we've actually gone through. And yet we say, okay, in the end, what we actually found was 600 something unique bugs themselves. Hmm. And then from there, we're pooling other information. Like if they are mentioning a concrete number, such as this is the amount of time that the outage occurred for, or this is the amount of money that was lost. These are amount, the amount of people that were impacted. Then we're, um, recording all of that data as well. If it doesn't say anything like that, we're not taking any guesses. We just leave those things blank. Okay. Um, and then, you know, as we, as we talk about this, this number again, 606 failures um, across the course of the year of 2017. And you mentioned earlier, as far as trying to help people understand, you know, how this affects them when there is a bug, if it's how it affects their personal or professional life, if it's an app they use in, in either one of those. But then we also try to kind of explain how it affects, um, you know, business and a financial impact to the, the companies that are releasing these bugs into production. And you, you've got a number in here of the total losses from software failures, and it's a, a long number. It's uh, in, in, the, in the trillions, <laughs> one, yeah. 1,715,430,778,504. How do you, uh, what all goes into that number? What all is included in a loss um, uh, that, that gets added to that giant number? So a loss can be anything from the actual amount of money that the company lost during an outage. So for example, if it's a Black Friday retail outage and there's a report that says due to this, this company lost a hundred million in sales. That's mm -hmm. one example. Another example could be um, if there's a financial 
uh, if there's a financial problem with a bank and there's a certain amount of money that's not being paid out on payday, that is a loss of assets to the people who are supposed to be receiving that money. Hmm. So when you look at the loss, it's more like this is the amount of assets that were affected. In the vast majority of those um, circumstances, the, the money is actually going down the drain, sales opportunities lost. But sometimes it's also money that's just put on hold or money that's not going to the right recipients, things like that. So we, we frame it as this is the amount of money that's affected. And 1.7 trillion is such, it's such an incredible number to try and get your mind to wrap around that number. And the only way I was able to do that was to put it into perspective by gross domestic product of countries. Mm-hmm. And I found that this number is actually roughly the same as the GDP of Canada, which is one of the 10 richest wow. countries in the world. Yeah. And when you put it into that frame, you go, wow, that really is a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and too, when you, when you look at that, it's, it's almost like when you, when you start to read the report and you see how many bugs there were in the, in the industries that these were in, it, it makes sense that it would be a, a large amount of money, maybe you, you aren't able to guess it, you know, on the nose, um, to have it be in the trillions is certainly uh, kind of uh, shocking. But then another number in there that I think is almost even more uh, thought provoking is the accumulated time lost as a result of these bugs. You know, it's not always just something you can immediately quantify in a dollar figure, but it, it equaled it's almost 269 years of time lost. And I assume that comes from, uh, you know, things like having to repair these bugs or, or figure out where they even are, as you start mm-hmm. to see things go bad if there's a bug out there, but, but what else also include is included in that, in that amount of, of lost time. Cause that obviously eventually can be uh, traced to a dollar figure as well. Mm-hmm. It's true. And if you, for me, the way that I contextualize that amount of number, that number is uh, that 269 years is actually older than the United States of America. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. That's, <laughs> that's heavy. Yeah, so you're like, let that sink in for a moment. Wow. That's wild. I mean, it's hard hard to find when you're saying, you're talking about the the time to repair. And, you know, it's interesting because you would think that by finding all of these numbers that you'd be able to say, okay, on average, then a software bug causes a company um, 60 minutes of downtime. And, but it's interesting because you actually see that, industries are handling this sort of thing very differently. Mm-hmm. For example, some of that time will come from an open source bug that's, that comes up or perhaps a, a vulnerability in a software. And you, it's being revealed that this bug has existed for 20 plus years. Mm. Yeah. And that's remarkable to think about that length of a bug and then the scope of the impact uh, how many things have been built and are currently in use that are going to contain that bug. But since it's something like open source software, it's serious, but it's not quite as serious or we don't, it doesn't create as much of a buzz, I would say, mm-hmm. within the news as an airline uh, having to cancel its flights for a day right. or a hospital losing access to its computer systems. And where in that case, even an outage of a day or a couple of hours is considered catastrophic. And the news articles that you're going to see in regards to that particular bug are going to be exponentially the amounts of what you see for a bug that we've actually all been living with for the past 20 years. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, airline and uh, uh, 
and, and healthcare, I was going to ask you next, what, um, what all industries will people find in software uh, fail watch each year that, that we kind of mainly focus on? And do those industries stay the same with each year's report? Are there any, you know, kind of trends between them that we're, that we're currently trying to find, um, the things like that? So the industries that we are focusing on, we've broken it into six major categories in which we try and parse everything that we find. So there's retail and consumer tech, uh, which would be everything from smartphones and laptops and things to retail in general. Mm -hmm. Public services and healthcare, which is where we lump everything that's governmental related, public subsidy, um, healthcare education, et cetera. Finance. Transportation, which would be everything from cars and airlines to problems with boats or ferries. Uh, entertainment, which I also include uh, like apps like Facebook and Tinder and Uber, things like that. Um, it kind of is like, a, is that transportation? With apps, it gets to be a little bit of a, of a tricky ground, mm -hmm. but most of the time that gets lumped under entertainment. And then services and utilities, uh, which is okay. obviously like electricity and water, internet, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, so we try and keep those umbrella terms relatively uh, static within each report so that we can actually do a year-on-year -year comparison and see how the industry is progressing. Uh, and it actually has revealed some pretty interesting uh, uh, insights for us. That's really cool. And then you know, one thing that, that I kind of thought about earlier uh, uh, earlier from this year was that, that we kind of realized uh, as, as we look to see which of these industries are affected by the most bugs that, again, like you mentioned at the start, that, that we're, we're basing these numbers based on uh, media coverage. That's mm -hmm. not like we're being given, you know, each of these industries are turning over the number of bugs that they are, are, are discovering each year to us. So it's, it's based on media coverage, which uh, I would say given the fact that the media uh, clearly, um, I'm not saying enjoys, but, but does like to write about um, bugs like these that just because one industry might have more bugs from one year to the next uh, doesn't mean that that industry is is experiencing more bugs. It could just be that more stories were written about bugs mm -hmm. in that industry, but it also does reveal like a, a trend, like a trend in the media as far as, as what industries are, are driving uh, their coverage and, and their readers' attention. Yeah, certainly. It's very true. And what I find interesting about the software fail watch as a whole is that all of the information that we gather tells us something about someone, but it doesn't ever give us the entire picture. Yeah. So we're never going to find all of the software bail fails that have occurred without, within the year. We'll never know exactly how many people were affected or how much money what, or time was lost. And even within the industries, there's a question of PR <laughs> and mm -hmm. whether or not this industry is actually good at helping to bury a story that would reflect poorly on a, a large corporation or brand name. Uh, so it always tells us something. And sometimes what it tells us is what the media focuses on or what people respond to, um, or perhaps which industry is investing more money on making sure that they keep a good face. Uh, I mean, one thing I found very interesting is the finance industry. Um, even some of the stories that I've discovered in years past, I can go back to those links and find that the articles have actually been scrubbed from the internet and I can no longer find those stories wow. anymore. Yeah, that seemed very dramatic when I first yeah. found that. Um, 
but I can't find evidence of those stories anymore. And those links that I had before are broken. So it seems to me, and this could just be an inner conspiracy, conspiracy theorist coming out, um, that the stories from finance that do tend to emerge are either too public, as in like they're related to a stock market or a hack or cryptocurrency, um, for them to be able to hide them, or they're simply too big in the sense that lots of people are actually being impacted. Hmm. But from the finance sector as a whole, the amount of stories that we get are very small in comparison to things like retail and consumer tech, where if there's even a small bug in your iOS update or your smartphone update, you know you're going to hear about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then another thing that's collected in this report that I think is, is, is really neat that I think is, a, you know, certainly diving to a, a, another layer that not everyone would think to go to in regards to the media, again, is paying attention to the cadence of these stories as far as when these stories tend to come out because everyone releases at different paces. So it's not like everyone releases their, their updates, you know, on the first day of each month. I mean, some people release once a year, some people release once a week, every day once a month, whatever it is, but that you've actually discovered that there is an actual traceable cadence as to when these stories appear in the media uh, less often than, than other periods of the year. It's definitely true. And it, I would say it's a soft trend, as in we can't go through and mark these really hard falls uh, from year to year with a certain consistency. But when you look at the overall cadence or flow of these stories, you can see certain things which I find interesting, like um, one that would be particularly self-evident is that transportation fails tend to peak in early summer throughout summer, which makes mm -hmm. sense because that's vacation time. So people are booking more flights, they're going on vacation, and perhaps it's in the stress under which uh, you have this new wave of users. It's you know load testing or stress testing in action, mm -hmm. uh, where you see airlines breaking down or certain things happening, booking systems going down during that period of the year. And yet it seems to be more in autumn that consumers are doing their shopping because that is when you see a lot of issues with retail and consumer tech. Um, and I don't know if that has to do with the consumers are going and they're doing more shopping at that time of the year, perhaps preparing for Christmas or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore they are discovering bugs in new products or whether it's a trend of these companies to be releasing large updates at that time. Uh, perhaps once again in preparation for Christmas and things like that and uh, then finding more bugs. And so it just kind of ends up being this uh, self-feeding cycle. Yeah. That would be really interesting to talk to some of the media outlets that we, you know, that we see produce the most of these stories. And if eventually, you know, year after year, we do see some harder, you know, proof of, of these trends to be able to reach out to them and, and just, to, just to confirm, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it's probably related to what you just said, but I mean, that's, it's not some sort of a, uh, inside info. It's, it would be something that we've been uh, able to to very clearly uh, track. It'd be neat to kind of get their point of view onto onto why they're choosing to to write these stories at these uh, specific times of the year. It would be, and that's one reason why I am particularly excited to see the software fail watch continue as a project. It's not something that I'm bored with because yeah. every single year not only are you getting fresh stories and fresh insights, so you're also seeing how trends are evolving and building and you're starting to get more of a macro picture of what things look at look like. Mm -hmm. At this point, the software fail watch is relatively new. We have five editions of it, um, but I really want to see what it's going to look like in 10 years or 15 years. And as far as I know, 
uh, which I've, I've done a good deal of research on this, we're the only people who are, who are recording this. There's no uh, official studies where people are trying to aggregate this information or find out how many software bugs uh, we are experiencing as a global population each year. Mm -hmm. uh, so until something like that pops up where it's doing it on like a scientifically proven scale, if possible, or we simply have enough data over the course of the years to be able to see that macro picture, um, I think it's going to be continue to be a really fascinating project. Absolutely. I agree. Um, something else I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, it seems like in each year's report, we find a different way to either display or display the, the, the metrics or the losses or whatever it is, or a different way to tell the story. But there were a couple of new things in this year's report that I was really uh, kind of impressed by. And one was this, you know, kind of butterfly effect of, of what happens or, or what can happen when there is a bug. You know, a lot of times if, if it's something we experience on a personal level, we experience that one thing and that may be the only issue that affected us personally. And once that issue is fixed, we, we kind of move on. But it's quite possible sometimes that these bugs, depending on how all of these systems become more and more integrated and dependent on each other, um, that, that these bugs can immediately start to affect other systems down the line that they're tied to. And so there's this really cool butterfly effect story there. And then the other thing I wanted to have you um, talk more about was this brand erosion index. And that, again, it's not just affecting financials. Um, it's not just affecting time lost. It's also affecting uh, brands as a whole and that there's trust involved. There's just reliability of these, band, of, of these brands and there's, there's a certain amount of loss that can immediately happen if people begin to, you know, to lose faith in the ability of these companies to do things like protect your data or keep your information you know, private in some way or always be running and have your app always be available and never be slow or down for maintenance when you need it during the day. So there's this brand erosion index that you also included this year. Yeah, those are actually two of my favorite pages within the report this year as well. Um, I particularly like the, the butterfly effect because it is a micro illustration of something that is too big for us to even fathom at this point. And it's true that with almost every single story uh, that we are finding, we might be looking at one particular instance of a software bug, but the ripple implications of it are, are, are just infinite. There's no mm -hmm. way that we can completely understand them. I mean, even if you're just thinking on a human scale, if one car is recalled uh, for a software fail, which I mean, there's one, uh, there was one recall that's already taken place in 2018, where it was 4.8 million cars recalled in one go. So that's, minimum 4.8 million people affected, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So assuming that there'd be one owner or one driver per car, but the reality is that cars usually belong to families or let's like, say a large portion of them belong to families. So there might actually be 2.5 people who are using that car mm -hmm. or a family of four people. And then that affects people who are, you know, well, what about your carpool? How are you getting to work? What are you going to do to do this if you don't have a car that's in commission? And so you, then you start to think about this ripple effect on a human level and it's staggering. Yeah. On the, for the butterfly effect story on um, that particular infographic, we looked at this micro example of, um, I believe it was British Airways, if I'm remembering correctly, an outage that they had in 2017 uh, that wound up, effect, up affecting, affecting, affecting online and check-in counter and where the baggage was actually going. I mean, the baggage for hundreds of thousands of travelers was already in the airport in the system uh, to be loaded on the planes by the time they needed to 
cancel 700 something flights. So what do you do with these hundreds of thousands of bags that are just stocking up and all of your computer systems are down? Everything yeah. needs to be handled manually. Uh, we found a number of really interesting articles that was tying all of these different things together. You'd find a report about how the uh, air stewardesses were needing to write signs on whiteboards to manually check people in. And then you have another story about the people who were trying to handle everything uh, in the baggage area. You tie all of these things together and realize that uh, that one pain point that we experience is only a fraction of the real picture and the real effect of a software bug. Absolutely. That's, um, and it just came to me too. I hadn't even thought of this beforehand. Um, but as you were explaining those two things that I kind of um, didn't think about as being tied together, but they certainly are. The butterfly effect then leads to brand erosion. I, um, mm -hmm. uh, earlier this year, flew somewhere with my family and my, one of my child, our children's uh, luggage was uh, destroyed by a, I don't know if it was a conveyor belt or what it was, but when we went to get the, the bag off the conveyor belt, it, it was just torn to shreds. Um, and that was, that was, you know, maybe in February of this year. So, you know, eight, nine months ago, and we, you know, we took the bag over to the place and they, they saw it and immediately knew what had happened and gave us the, the, the check right there on the spot. So, I mean, they fixed the problem right there. They had us, they asked how much the bag was. They asked if it was under a certain amount of money that they were allowed to write a check for. Um, I told them yes and got the amount for it. I mean, they could not have handled it better. And I was really impressed. Uh, by that. And I was kind of like, wow, they fixed this, they solved this problem so mm -hmm. quickly. We've already got the money to get this bag. We bought the new bag on the trip and the kid had a new bag on the way home and everything was totally fine. So it was like a week or two ago, I was mentioning a, a future trip that I hope to, to go on my family and my son, the one who had happened to, he said, who are we going to, uh, which airline will we fly with? And I, I said the name of the airline and he said, but they're the ones that destroyed my bag. <laughs> and it was like, Funny. you know, in my head, the situation was resolved so quickly. I was so impressed. I totally blew it off that they destroyed this bag. It's just a luggage. We'll get, we'll get another one. He's still carrying around that, that grudge. Like it didn't matter how quickly they fixed it. This was his suitcase. It was his favorite suitcase. And for all I know, he's going to grow up as an adult and still, and still cling on to that. But there was an amount of brand erosion there that even though they were able to fix it quickly, for me, they, they didn't fix it quickly for someone else who was, who was touched by this. You know, this, this was a mechanical failure, not software, but... Uh, but still, yeah, that brand erosion can, uh, can occur to extended members that, again, that we don't collect because we're, we're collecting this, this bug affected this many people. But there mm -hmm. are these other members, like a family member that, that for all we know, it's, it's, it's affected them as well. Yeah. And it, it seems to be that the stories that, have, that impact the most people are going to be the ones that create the, uh, the highest brand erosion. So mm -hmm. you might, for example, have a story like we did where uh, I think it was Providential Finance in the UK had a, a software, a long-term software bug about a new software that they were trying to implement uh, in their internal systems, wound up costing them billions overnight in the stock market. Mm -hmm. It was the single largest stock market crash uh, for a single stock that had been seen in years. Mm -hmm. Now, that is a big story and that affects a lot of people. And yet, it's not going to be uh, quite as covered as, for example, uh, an airline outage like the one we were discussing, where you've got hundreds of thousands of people who are uh, being affected personally because they're unable to get to their destination, but then the ripple effect of, okay, well, now do I need to go home? Do I need to go and stay at a hotel? What am I going to say to my family who is expecting me to arrive? Am I going to miss this wedding? Am I going to miss my vacation? Right. Um, and that, the way that that ripples out 
seems to provoke more articles. And the more people that are going to be personally impacted by the ripple effect of that software bug, the more articles that you're going to see, which I think is one reason why we see so much around consumer tech. I mean, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't even remember how many articles I, I read um, about the, was the Apple iOS error that turns the letter I into an A and a question mark with a box around it. Right. People wrote about it so much. There was so much conversation about it for months. Yeah. But then if you think about it, when you actually look at the amount of people who are using the iOS app and who were, uh, who were being affected by that, it's in the millions upon millions upon millions. Right. So it makes sense that that is where you see the highest amount of brand erosion. And that's how we're calculating it. How many people are reading about this? How, many, how long is this staying within the news cycle? Um, and the, or the thesis being that the more people are reading about it, the more people are writing about the story, and the longer it stays in the news cycle, the more that brand's reputation is being eroded publicly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of the things that you've done this year um, is uh, started to kind of drip out some of the of this year's findings before the re- next year's report actually comes out. Um, uh, collecting, you know, obviously we're we're collecting this this data throughout the year, but going ahead and kind of uh, not teasing out, but just sharing some of a here are some of the failures that that we track, you know, every year that make these kind of noises. Have there been any any big ones from this year that have already uh, that have already caught your eye and the uh, other people's eyes um, before they they make their way into this report? Yeah, there has been some. So we do a quarterly review, as you say, um, and we analyze the trends that we've seen in the past quarter or simply write about the stories that have caught our interest for one reason or another. Um, Some of the big ones that we've seen quite recently, actually, was uh, Amazon's outage during Prime Day. It was out for Mm -hmm. 75 minutes at the very beginning of Prime Day, and it cost them an estimated $1.2 million per minute. So it was running somewhere around 90 to 99 million in total. But then once again, if we're talking about the ripple effect, there's the other question of how many vendors paid for premium advertising spots on prime day. And they also lost their ability to actually process orders during that time because Amazon was down. So likely in all likelihood, Amazon themselves might have lost $90 million in total, but the amount that was lost to vendors, et cetera, Mm-hmm. It's much higher than that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's money. You know, a lot of people care about money and it's certainly something to care about. But the bugs that I find truly shocking are ones like um, there was a, a story about how Great Britain's home office admitted that they had wrongly revoked the visas of thousands of um, immigrants, uh, students and workers because they had this faulty voice recognition software in place. They were trying to prevent cheating by uh, checking voice recognition. And it later came back that an excuse, inexcusably large percentage of that, um, uh, of the results that they had received were actually inconclusive or incorrect, but they had revoked these visas anyways. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that raises all kinds of ethical questions. I mean, you're talking about the human factor there. Yeah. I mean, are people being deported? Are people being endangered when they shouldn't be, when they actually um, deserve to be where they are and not have their visa revoked? Yeah. So it's always fascinating. Uh, and yet to the same extent, when you start to read so many titles, so many headlines and so many stories like this, you know, you might hear about um, 
almost half a million women not having received their um, breast examination notices or summons. And therefore it's possible that there's thousands of women who have perished because there was undetected breast cancer. You start to see headlines like that all the time. And as truly tragic as it is, it kind of becomes common, like rote. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, but it's amazing. I know the, the more connected our world is, the more we can expect that we're going to be encountering bugs like this on a daily basis. Yeah. That reminds me too, just as I know that one of the last year's stories was one of these, you know, uh, monitoring, um, like, like infant monitors you can put, you know, like in a nursery room kind of thing where you can mm-hmm. check on your, on your child. And there was, there was this, you know, story about how one of those had been hacked into and someone was actually, you can, you can speak through the monitor so that your child can hear your voice and be soothed by your voice. And there was this, you know, this, the hack that had happened where someone could actually like a stranger could all of a sudden start talking in your child's room to your, to your child. And I remember just, it was so terrifying. And it was the kind of thing. And I remember showing it to, you know, to my, to my wife and showing her being like, look, can you believe this? And it was enough to like rule out, any like you know uh internet of things devices where there's connected you know things like that and again it's like it wasn't just it wasn't just oh well we're not going to get one of those monitors it was like we're not going to get one of those monitors and we're not going to um sync up this thing we're not going to get this thing that can connect to the internet this this fridge this thermostat this so-and-so and it was like it can have it can affect industries outside of the one that even outside mm-hmm. of the one that had the the bug even occurred in yeah, you know, there was a fascinating study that I came across uh, this year, uh, which will be included in this year's report, about uh, these two research doctors, so doctors and professors, uh, researchers at, I think, the University of California, who were looking into whether or not surgeons actually believe that their medical devices had been hacked. And it turned out that something like 95% of the time, even though they had ensured that this medical device that was being used during surgery was hacked in this hypothetical situation, the doctor never believed that it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, wow. I, which one just brings up the truly terrifying thought of devices in hospitals being hackable and pacemakers right. are hackable, um, med- medicine dispensers things like that are all hackable and actually have been hacked before. But then on the other hand, there's also this education concept where people who are working with this type of technology, like these doctors, people within the hospital need to be trained to know if they're in the middle of surgery and something is malfunctioning, that it's, Mm -hmm. it could actually be a hack. And that's just an entirely new world and new concept of thinking that we are in and we need to learn to adapt to because nobody wants to think that that's possible. It seems too much like a sci-fi movie, Mm -hmm. Um, but increasingly that's our reality. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just in closing, um, I'd love for you to kind of share where people can download this. Um, It really is a a very unique report, like you you, um, said earlier, and that I, I don't know of anyone else either who who does anything like this and that it's unique in that, you know, it's got the financial numbers for those who are you know, maybe paid to ensure that those remain stable or, or increase, you know, in their organizations. And it's got the emotional connection for those who are more touched by that. And it's just like you were saying a minute ago, just it's got these things and it that just God, for me inspire a new way of thinking about how we, um, try to uh, ensure quality or have trust in the de- the devices and, and apps that we use, and just a, a, it, it's got an, enough in there where it's not just speaking to a single group. It's it, it affects. It's got the stuff that affects people in, in a number of different ways. So, where can people uh, can access this on the website? 
Yeah, absolutely. We make all of them available to download on uh, the website. So it's tricentis.com. And there is a resources section where you can find all of the software fail watches that we have published. Um, we also have them on our blog. Uh, so tricentis.com backslash blog where we post those quarterly updates that I was mentioning. So those are always fun too, because we can take a little bit more of a, a lighthearted or uh, a different angle into looking at these stories since it's not the full report. We're just kind of highlighting a couple of different stories and looking at patterns. So yeah, it's available there for you to download. And obviously the more people who are able to read about it and kind of get this new perspective and concept as to why software testing is important and why software quality is so important, I, I think the better it is. That is going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And I also hope you check out the fifth annual Software Fail Watch, which we discussed. That is available at tricenis.com slash software dash fail dash watch. And my last favor, uh, if you enjoyed this episode and have yet to subscribe to this show, please do. You can find us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, or SoundCloud just by searching for Tricentis. That'll help you be the first to know when new episodes are released. And we have a lot of good ones coming up, I promise. That's all I've got. Thank you for the time you spent with us today. And we'll see you on the next episode of Continuous Testing Live.